Hello and welcome to K-Botak, a short podcast about Korean cinema and K-dramas, with me, John. In this episode, we are continuing our countdown to Hellbound, in the run-up to the Netflix series Hellbound, releasing November 19th. I'm covering works by Yon Sang-ho and Yua In on the podcast. This episode, we're going to be talking about films by Yua In. Yua In is a 35-year-old actor from South Korea. Uh, he has appeared in quite a lot of stuff, including The Throne, uh, the very popular drama Descendants of the Sun, period drama Six Flying Dragons, the Netflix hit zombie movie from last year, Hashtag Alive, and the two films we'll cover today, which are Burning and Voice of Silence. He can really disappear into characters, as seems to be the case with the cult leader from Hellbound, who is now starting to show up in promotional images and uh, trailers that Netflix are releasing for that. Um, He has uh, the uh, ability to just completely inhabit whatever character he needs to, um, which is certainly the case with these two films. Um, Seems, uh, from the way people talk about him, a humble bloke, he has an activist streak as well, generally very likeable, um, and uh, looking forward to discussing his films. So... First up, Burning, an acclaimed film from 2018, made by the famous director Lee Chang-dong. This is a psychological thriller and mystery. It's based on a Haruki Murakami short story called Barn Burning, which itself is based on William Faulkner's Barn Burning. Um, this film probably should have taken the Oscar the year before Parasite. It was number one on tons of people's lists. Um, it was a big crossover hit. It certainly had uh, critics on its side all over the world, even if it didn't uh, achieve the fan reception like uh, Parasite did as well. It has the tone and tenor of an Oscar winner, um, of a, a nomad land or something like that. Um, but while presenting this really intoxicating uh, medley of social issues and just oozing atmosphere uh, and uh, being held down by three really striking uh, performances at, at the heart of it. In this movie, Yua In plays jong He is a young fellow trying to get by um, in modern-day South Korea. Uh, his father is a, a farmer, but who has ended up um, in a kind of a fracas with a, a government official of some kind, and is now on trial. Uh, so, care of the farm and the cattle uh, eventually falls to Jongsu. Um, his mother has basically abandoned him. She turns up once to ask for money. Um, so he lives quite a, a hard scrabble life, um, and. Uh, towards the beginning of the film meets uh, working as a, a kind of a promotional assistant at one of those knockoff uh, perfume shops that you see in uh, tourist hotspots and, and honeypot sites. Um, his childhood acquaintance, Hami, who is played by John Jongso, who, after seeing this and The Call, which is a, a thriller that's on Netflix, um, immediately became one of my favourite actors. She hasn't been in uh, a lot. Uh, She's got a couple more movies coming out, but on the strength of the the two performances I've seen from her, um, absolutely incredible. This is a remarkable uh, performance. 
she's this very relatable character. You've met someone who's just like this girl, um, very kind of uh, charming and seemingly happy-go-lucky, but you know that there's a lot of pressure underneath the surface of this, uh, you know, wage-based job that she's having to uh, get by with, trying to save up to try and go travelling. Um, and it's this kind of um, relatable, uh, every woman um, performance that I think a lot of people would, would resonate with. But she's kind of crystallising in it so many of the pains of this generation of people into one character. Um, she just sums up uh, really a, a huge amount of the, uh, the, the again, the hard scrabble nature of just trying to find a job any job and find something to look forward to uh, in her case the travel um, and she's also uh, a, a mime um, a pantomime in her free time uh, she shows uh, jong su how she uh, you know pours invisible drinks and eats invisible oranges and, and things like this um, and it's all very cute and uh, and uh, nice to watch they're sat in this restaurant and they're doing this but there's a slight melancholy uh, to the fact that she's literally acting out this this life of uh, abundance um, and uh, and of being well fed um, uh, through this this pantomime hobby that she has, um, but she's still seeking profundity and, and mirth around her at every point through the, the travel and the things that she does. So, obviously, nominally this is a, a you are in uh, episode, but. Um, Huge shout out for John Jong So. I'm going to cover the call at some point. Um, really, a, an actor that I think is going to take over the world if uh, if she gets half a chance. And um, it couldn't think of uh, a better kind of parallel for for what Yuan In is doing with his character here. Um, and then you've got Ben, who's played by Stephen Yuan. Um, ben uh, is a is a stark contrast uh, to Jong Su, where Jong Su is from a rural background, very poor. Um, has this troubled family and lives in this uh, messy farmhouse with stuff all over the place, um, food packets just discarded around. Ben is this uh, international kind of uh, Americanized, very manicured um, fellow. He's uh, dressed to the nines all the time. He sort of uh, materializes out of nowhere with Amy when she returns from her travel to Africa. Uh, Jong-su has been desperate to see her and uh, counting down the days as he looks after her cat um, that avoids him uh, or that we haven't even seen up to this point um, and he turns up at the airport to pick her up and then suddenly this um, this rich handsome guy is getting off the plane with her and they're talking about how they became friends in uh, Africa uh, I think a lot of people watching that moment will relate to the uh, absolute thunderclap that hits poor Jong-su in, in this second. It's absolutely mortifying, obviously, um, but also Ben encapsulates uh, everything that uh, is just totally out of reach for Jong-su. His life is well-heeled, extremely well-appointed. Um, he lives in what looks like a show home. You know, the, uh, the, the, the scruffy... Um, family home that Jong Su is getting by in uh, could not be more different to the flat that uh, that Ben has. I've seen you know, dwellings like this. I hesitate to call them homes because they seem so impersonal. They seem more like um, expressions of status uh, and wealth. 
than anywhere that a, a person would actually live and feel comfortable. Uh, and uh, Jong Su is, is there kind of looking around wondering you know, how, how does he have this? How does he manage this? And that sums up what Lee Changdong has talked about as a, uh, as a theme at the heart of this movie that for these young people who aren't well healed, who haven't uh, been born into the right moment or the right household, um, whose parents uh, didn't set them up uh, the way others uh, others did, um, are basically faced with a mystery of how are they going to succeed. There's a crucial point where uh, they're asking Ben like what his job is, how does he have this Porsche, um, how does he have this, this flat in the most expensive part of Seoul, um, and he says to John, so, you know, he wouldn't understand. Basically, my job, uh, I just play. Which, for, it's brilliant because, firstly, it sounds like the kind of very arrogant, downplaying way of, of describing a profession that you get from a lot of kind of broish uh, entrepreneurs and uh, your influencer types on on LinkedIn. But on on another level, that's that's actually relatable. Like. A lot of the time, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't understand like how this guy has managed to do this when he's in his twenties. I think a lot of us can relate to looking at someone and thinking, "How have you done this? How have you managed to get to this point? You know, what are you doing? What are you sacrificing? Um, what are you, uh, uh, you know, what are you doing to to have this life?" Um, in reality, for a lot of people, it is all shown, um, and they are finding ways to. Uh, either sacrifice elsewhere um, or it's just something that they're putting on social media and, and that's a whole other issue um, sometimes you do genu- genuinely come face to face with someone and, and you're just uh, at a loss for how they're doing it um, so great moment there's lots of really well observed moments like that in the film um, and it all comes down to this crucial moment at about the halfway point they're at jong dad's farm um, and uh, they're, uh, I think they're having some wine and, and possibly uh, weed, I, I can't remember. Um, but they're all sat around and kind of chilling out, but obviously these social differences between them still simmer visibly in, in every uh, line that's coming out. Hemi eventually falls asleep, and so the two lads are, are talking, and Jong-Su is, is recounting a, a story quite a sad story of his dad burning his mum's belongings basically out of resentment for for leaving them Um, and Ben takes this moment to say to Jongsu that he is a a big fan of arson he likes burning down uh, barns uh, or uh, greenhouses in rural parts of South Korea they're at at the farm they're actually not far from the, the DMZ um, it's uh, you know, kind of out of the way and according to Ben he's going around to places like this and uh, burning down far- barns and greenhouses that he's, he says to him they're useless, they're ugly, no one misses them, the police don't care um, and the big question that hangs over the rest of the movie for me at least was is that all he's talking about um, this, uh, this rich guy who's casually talking about how he breaks the law and nobody cares enough to do anything about it while uh, Jong Su is uh, scrabbling for every single you know bit of money that he can get to try and keep this farm running and he's selling off the cattle and, and da 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 um, 
but from that point it builds a, a really slow tension from that moment um, which uh, is great it's really watchable um, really draws you in if you like long takes and who doesn't then watch this movie there's lots of them as uh, Ben and uh, jong Su basically they basically end up following each other around the countryside and around Seoul um, for reasons that I won't spoil um, and it's uh, yeah, it's really fantastic so I love this film um, like I say I think this should have had Oscar recognition as well as Parasite I consider this the start of a bit of an informal trilogy uh, that starts with this and then the next year you get Parasite and then the year after that you get um, uh, Beasts Clawing at Straws uh, movies with very different genres very different presentations and, and casts but are all kind of uh, kicking around very similar issues uh, really really well in their own ways um, so if you like any of those movies uh, watch this uh, I think um, an easy recommendation so that's Burning the second film Voice of Silence is an indie crime drama uh, came out last year 2020 um, and it is by a first time director called Hong Yui Jong there's actually a UK producer on this, I've just realised, um, reading up about the movie, Afalabi Kuti. Um, and you've got, again, Yu In playing Tayin, um, Yu Jemyung as Changbok, who is uh, Tayin's partner in their job. And uh, we're going to get on to exactly what that job is. Uh, the reason I watched this was the kind of, just the, the back of the box uh, description that you get. These are the guys who work for uh, cartels and gangs and when they're torturing people and killing them and getting information out of them, you know, in those gangster movies where you see Huang Jungmin and people like this uh, with someone strung up and they've got the big tarpaulin underneath them so that all the blood and the gore uh, doesn't get on, you know, the hotel suite or, or whatever, those kind of grim moments. Well, in this... Uh, Tayin and Jamyong are uh, the two guys who come in and clean up and dispose of the bodies. It's uh, extremely grim work, um, but I suppose in uh, in you know a world like this, uh, someone ends up doing it. Um, and uh, while these kind of horrendous scenes are going on around them, usually the uh, people in question who are being tortured, often other gangsters, informants, people who went a little bit too far. Um, playing sides off against each other uh, are still alive, they're in the process of um, being tortured or, or whatever and there's some quite good black comedy that, that comes out of this um, as, they, uh, as they interact with people who ordinarily uh, would be very very scary but uh, hung upside down um, they're, uh, you know, they're completely at their mercy and obviously these guys know that they're, in a few minutes they're just going to be another job um, so basically the, the story is that their boss who they works for asked them to do a, an unusual job um, which is to kidnap someone um, which they don't like but they turn up um, they, uh, uh, they bang down this, this door they find themselves in a nursery they don't know why um, you've got them there with their baseball bats lo looking nervous they look into this nursery it turns out they've been asked to kidnap a little girl and they end up stuck with her they're supposed to only have her for a few hours and then uh, they can they can get rid of her and 
she's she's going to be basically a hostage and they're asking for money from the parents but it turns out from what I could make out from this film that the dad won't pay that he thought it was going to be the son that would be kidnapped and he was kind of getting ready counting the the money out then found out it was the daughter and uh, now he's uh, coming up with all sorts of reasons to delay I mean that's a, a little dark detail there perhaps um, about how you know uh, daughters are, are treated as opposed to sons um, in the world sometimes but the fallout of this is that uh, Tain and Jamyong end up looking after and they become this weird family so it goes from a crime caper to this unlikely family story to eventually back to a, a thriller drama again you get a, a fresh spin on this sort of very well-worn um, unlikely male guardian formula that you get with a lot of stuff obviously you it, Man from Nowheres and uh, movies like that. And I thought it was a, an amazing blend of genres, especially for first-time uh, director um, Hong Yu Jong. I think she's really come up with just a, a unique and singular film here. It's brilliantly made, uh, and her secret weapon and her the, the main thing she's got in her arsenal for pulling this off is the acting of Yu In, which in this movie, by the way is completely wordless. He doesn't say a word in this whole film. And I didn't realise this. I, I just sort of looked at what this movie was about. Like I said, I like the idea of these uh, these cleaners who come onto the scene. I saw it was a bit of a black comedy crime caper and, and that was in, so I just put it on the um, streaming service. And I was watching uh, You Are In. He's, he's got carrying weight in this one. His head is uh, completely shaved. It looks very different to... Um, the the young guy that he plays in Burning, or to the uh, you know extremely handsome and well kept prince of the throne, uh, or the dapper young chap of Descendants of uh, of the Sun, he's this big bearish guy. He walks quite sloped, like his physicality and, and mannerisms couldn't be more different to a lot of the stuff he's done. Now, first of the way he's uh, he's pulling this off is uh, is is amazing to begin with but I was looking at him about five to ten minutes in and thinking he hasn't said anything yet and yet I know exactly who this character is uh, I know how this guy sees the world around him um, what he's interested in what he's not interested in to him this job uh, is tedious he wants to get to the point where he can sit down and um, have his instant ramen and uh, he's probably going to have a, a, a chat with uh, Jamyong who's like his kind of his uncle figure and then I realised that the, the character is, is mute actually and, and Jamyong says to these, uh, these gangsters you know, he, doesn't, he doesn't say anything um, that's the power of, of the acting that this guy can do I think that's just remarkable um, and throughout the movie he doesn't say a word and yet he, you, you can't take your eyes off him he's the most absorbing uh, person on screen um, and he just seems to have poured everything into uh, really an incredible performance. I saw earlier today an interview, or a conversation I should say, between Bong Joon-ho and Hong Yu-jong, uh, which has been uh, amazingly uh, translated by Yue-in fanbase on Twitter. You can find them at, at S-I-K-Seekers, um, 
and uh, th there wasn't any other translation that, that could be seen so uh, that's really brilliant when fans do that kind of thing but in this interview Bong Joon-ho is, is saying after five to ten minutes I forgot that he had no lines because every moment everything was fully expressed in every scene uh, that's a really that's a really good observation I think uh, by Bong Joon-ho the fact that he doesn't have any dialogue it just stops mattering uh, really quickly and uh, the director Hong is, is saying that her challenge was to make a naive countryman out of this boyishly beautiful Yue In who's, uh, who's known for his looks and known for being youthful so she first asked him to lose weight and grow hair over his eyes she thought this would be uh, the, the image of this rural uh, kid um, but she then met up with him and he'd been training uh, to be a, a special forces soldier in something he had all this weight on he was you know a, like muscle weight was massive um, and he suggested shaving his hair off Hong wasn't convinced by this and asked him to lose weight so he said okay and then he, he went away and then she said that when she saw him again he went back to being the familiar beautiful you are in so then she apologized and asked him could he put the weight back on and this is a nice detail of this interview he just sort of went okay um, so talk about a method actor you are in is, is actually taking the weight off and then putting it back again um, so that he can do this role um, and this isn't like a, you know, a, a Bong Joon-ho or a Pak Chan-wook or some big uh, uh, you know, titan of a, of a director who's been going for 20 years and, and made huge uh, hits it's not Lee Chang-dong that he worked with um, in Burning who's one of the most you know, respected directors ever um, Hong Yu-jong is a new director at this point um, and I think uh, just reflects really well on uh, uh, on the guy that he kind of went along with it he didn't behave like a diva um, he just sort of said uh, okay if this is what you want this is what you want and that's uh, that's how they've got this brilliant film out of it out of everyone working together I'm so excited to see what Hong Yu-jong does next um, and uh, I think this this movie like Burning must see um, absolute must watch it uh, also has some of these these themes like burning the the sharp relief of the social differences that the different characters uh, have but it's a bit different in in this one where the burning kind of sets these two characters opposite each other um, and lets you look at how their differences play off one another in their various confrontations this is more just observing how this neat city girl that they've kidnapped um, comes in uh, and actually becomes part of the family. She comes and she tidies and pretties up the place. You know, this has been basically a tip um, that Tae-in and, and his sister live in. His sister seems to be half wild. He basically comes back with food for her once a day. She spends the rest of the time um, watching a, a TV that they've got in there. Doesn't seem to have brushed her hair ever. And then this kid, they've kidnapped, um, comes in and tidies everything up and uh, gets her learning her letters and things like that um, she's even obediently helping with this grisly work that uh, Tae-in and jae do so it all becomes this, this really bizarre family dynamic uh, that's kind of uh, weirdly heartwarming to watch and uh, again th this is all credit to, to Hong like it's, it's almost daring you to find it cute because you know that it can only end badly for someone someone is going to come a cropper at some point in this story because these these people do not belong in this situation there's these lovely minutes when they all sit together and, and they take a photo 
um, and uh, there's an approximation of, of family between them um, but you just know it can't last and, and that's the sadness at the heart of this movie it's all building to an inevitable point not a big confrontation like in Parasite but just the sad inevitable consequences of uh, the, the way that these different people have been very temporarily smashed together both of these movies absolute must watch I think that uh, well I've chosen them because I, I believe that this is if you don't know your in's work um, if you want a bit of a, uh, a refresher or a crash course uh, in what it can do before Hellbound comes out, um, then you can do a lot worse than watch these two movies. Apart from that, they're both gorgeously shot, really good cinematography. You get to see um, lots of uh, you know, really wonderful views of South Korea, uh, including the rural areas as well. Um, although you also see Seoul in uh, in Burning, um, but I always like movies that show the rural side of South Korea. So um, yeah, can't go wrong with these. So yeah, Countdown to Hellbound continues. Um, that's out on November nineteenth, and uh, I hope that uh, these podcasts have been helping you to look forward to what is uh, surely going to be a, another hit for Netflix. So you can follow this show on at kbotapod k b o T-A-K-P-O-D on Twitter and Instagram and uh, even uh, even better you can subscribe on your podcast service of choice you'll be, uh, you'll be able to see the new episodes when they come out um, that would be really appreciated thanks for listening, cheers <laughs>